Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Author's Corner. Today, my guest is Samantha Bennett. Sam is a writer, speaker, actor, teacher, and creativity and productivity specialist, and the author of the best-selling book, Get It Done, From Procrastination to Creative Genius in 15 Minutes a Day, which Seth Godin called an instant classic, essential reading for anyone who wants to make a ruckus. And I can tell you, uh, Sam is a longtime friend of mine. And if there's one thing that she's also good at, besides creativity coaching, it's uh, making a ruckus. So (laughs) her latest bestseller is Start Right Where You Are, How Little Changes Can Make a Big Difference for Overwhelmed Procrastinators, Frustrated Overachievers, and Recovering Perfectionists. So maybe some of our listeners hear themselves in that. And Sam is currently working on her latest book, Secrets of Highly Creative People. She is the creator of the Organized Artist Company, which is dedicated to helping tens of thousands of creative people get unstuck and helping them to focus and move forward on their goals. She's also written the script for the hit musical In a Booth at Chasen's, which is about the courtship of the courtship of Ron and Nancy Reagan. She is an award-winning marketing expert having spent 15 years as a personal branding specialist for Sam Christensen Studios, and she's been honored as an ultimate marketer finalist at InfusionCon. She's also a key certified consultant and reseller. And today, Sam and I are going to talk about the dreaded phenomenon of writer's block and other blocks that prevent us from starting, finishing, or publishing our books. So if this is something that you have ever struggled with or worried about struggling with, I think you'll find this episode particularly valuable. So relax and enjoy. So Sam, welcome to the author's corner. Thanks, Robin. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. You know, as you know, you are one of my favorite people. Oh, well, uh, right, right back at you. <laughs> beautiful planet of ours. And, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll never forget how we met, you know, and it, it's especially fun for me to think about all the, uh, you know, we met at a business development workshop. And when I think of where the, where each of us was, what, just maybe 10 years ago, right? <laughs> I think since then you've had two books, yep. right? Published. I've published one, um, <laughs> plus the ones I've helped other people. Publish. I was going to say, plus the um, zillions of other ones. You know, both of us have really developed thriving businesses and it's just been such a fun thing to share the journey with you. Yeah. And to, to watch 
both of us grow and that, and to be able to grow together has been super fun. <laughs> super fun. And, you know, and just for, for all y'all's out there, I really want to underline two things. One, we met in this business develop thing and this coaching thing. It was personal development and business development. And I don't know how anybody succeeds without it. Yeah. Right. Find the coach that scares you. <laughs> Find one that's done what you want to do right? Who's already actually done the thing that you want to do. They haven't just learned about it. They've actually done it themselves, find them and then pay them whatever they want, because you don't know what you don't know. You can't see what you can't see. And you need to be in community with other people who are on the same path, because let's face it, no one knows what we do or why, right? So you need to have people around you who get it and that you can talk to and be with like, you know, like I said, 10 years of friendship and, you know, to be able to cry, call each other anytime and cry on each other's shoulder or say, or celebrate. Well, cause that's um, just, not everybody knows how to be happy for you when you have your first $10,000 day or a hundred thousand dollar yeah. or whatever, you know, no kidding. Right. Like you get to a point where you have to be kind of careful, like who you share your wins with and what kinds of wins you share and things exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So I know I leapt way ahead. And, <laughs> and, the, and of course, the, the reason, well, there's so many reasons, but the, the reason for our listeners that I, <laughs> I invited you to be here today is because you are really, you know, in my mind, the expert on getting over yourself, getting mm -hmm. over your resistance. You know, anybody who's listening, who is a highly creative person, you just have trouble finishing. Maybe, maybe you have trouble getting started, but you, even if you can get started, you have trouble finishing. Samantha Bennett is the authority, in my view, on this topic. And she's got two best-selling books to prove it. And so, and this is such a big deal for authors. Yeah. Right. And not even just, not even just first-time authors. Sometimes second-time authors who've been very successful are even more resistant than they were with the first book when there was no bar to meet, you know, when there was no oh, expectation. For sure. And your first book is like your greatest hits, right? You've already, you know, right. you've probably already <laughs> tested that material. Second book, you got second album problem, right? <laughs> the sophomore jinx. Right? Sophomore jinx. So yeah, no, it's scary. And, then, and that would be the first thing I would say is like, well, of course you're scared. Of course you're doubting yourself. Who wouldn't? But the fear is not a sign to not do it. Mm right? It's like stage fright. Stage fright is not a sign that you shouldn't go on stage. It's a sign that you are about to go on stage. <laughs> right? It's a totally natural part of the process. So to go like, oh, look, here I am completely freaking myself out over, you know, starting this book, finishing this book, working on this book, admitting that I've written a book, finding an agent, finding a publisher, self-publishing, whatever it is. Like, yes, we're tribal animals. We are designed to live in a group. We know our animal brain knows that we cannot survive alone. So we're very sensitive to the good opinion of the tribe. You know, we don't want to do things that people, they're going to make people not like us, which I have, I hardly ever talk about this, but I feel, I'm feeling, I'm feeling the urge. There are things that I think of as creative dichotomies, right? Where, or creative dualities, right? It's a better word, creative dualities, where it's two things that are completely opposite and true at the same time. For example, on the one hand, we really care about what everybody else thinks and we really want everyone to like us and approve of us and, you know, be, think that we're good. And equally and at the same time, we don't really give two figs what anybody thinks about us and we just want to do what we want to do and everybody else can screw off. 
And the key, I think, to a happy life is to bring these two ideas closer together, you know, like sort of surf the tension between these two things. Another one of those that comes up for everybody is like, we want things to be nice and normal and familiar and safe. And equally, and at the same time, we want things to be new and exciting and different. (laughs) And we want both of these things at the same time. So this, again, bring these ideas closer together, surf the tension between these two things. Don't feel like it's got to be all one thing or all the other. It's both. And that is so key to the creative process. Totally. Both of those tensions, right? Both of those tensions, both of those tensions. And even the, and the, I, I suck, I'm great. That's another one. Like, oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> right. Like, oh my God, I'm, te- you know, I'm terrible. This is stupid. Who's going to listen to me? I'm not an authority. This is lame. I should just go live in a cave. And equally at the same time, you know, what? That, that, that's pretty good. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of know some things like pretty good about this. <laughs> I'm the boss. I'm the stuff. <laughs> I'm it. Every once in a while, especially as a writer, you know, I'll look, I'll read something or write something and be like, okay, you know what? I don't care who you are. That's a good sentence. <laughs> that's some good writing right there. That right there, that's a good piece of writing. Not everything I do is a good piece of writing. That's a good piece of writing. <laughs> yes. And and when you've written enough, I think you're 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 allowed to make those. <laughs> you've earned the right. <laughs> yeah, well, and this is this is actually this is a question I get sometimes from writers about like, well, you know, what if it's not good enough, mm. right? How do I know if it's good enough? Mm-hmm. And again, totally normal and natural to have that voice in your head that's going, "This isn't good enough. You're stupid. Nobody's going to care about this." Again, totally natural part of the process. And what I tend to do is just restate the question in a slightly different tone of voice, which is, well, can I make this better? Mm. Mm. Do I know how to make this piece of writing better right now? Uh, And sometimes the answer is like, oh, I do. Actually, I can take out all those adverbs. I can (laughs) make the verbs a little punchier. I can give a better example. I can take out this thing that I thought was kind of a funny joke that is just kind of laying there like a limp banana. You know, like I can make this tighter and better. Other times you read it and you're like, you know what? Maybe it needs to be better, but I don't know how to make it better. Right. And this is why God made editors. <laughs> right. Thank God for editors. But yeah, so that question is like, is it good enough? Well, I don't know. Do you know how to make it better right now? I love that. I love that. And that is, that's such a smart question because when you ask that and you're honest with yourself, you know immediately if you can make it better or not. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even before you have a chance to think about lying to yourself, you already know. <laughs> right. And, and sometimes, yeah. you know, talent is, is deeply overrated. <laughs> and even things being good is deeply overrated, you know, and certainly things being perfect. I mean, if I made a list of my favorite books, my favorite movies, my favorite songs, my favorite people, is it because they're perfect books? because they're perfect people because they're perfect movies no some of them are kind of junky books <laughs> some of them would fall into the category of trashy books and i love them <laughs> i would take them to a desert island with me i adore them and everything about them is just right so are they perfect according to the world no are they perfect unto themselves yes mm-hmm. I one time had a very dear friend who's also um, a terrific editor and she was like looking at some of my writing and she's like, I don't know, Sam. She's like, I feel like these aren't as good as some of your other stuff. And I said, I totally agree with you. And all I can say is they're meant to be this way. They're meant to be this. Like I, this is the way they came out. 
-hmm. they're for a slightly different audience they're not as sophisticated as some of the other things they're not as complicated they are a little more simple sort of Mm -hmm. and it's not my job to judge my work Hmm. you are a terrible judge of your own work that is the truth you may have noticed this about yourself (laughs) so stop and i I find it's interesting because i think sometimes well i find that again we'll talk about two equal and opposite things that can exist at the same time is people both judge themselves too harshly and they let themselves off the hook that's right at the same time and i think what when with a less experienced writer who hasn't been published much it's harder to bring those two things together right but when you've had enough external feedback you know after a while you start to kind of internalize that a little bit more of that objectivity of being able to see when you've given yourself more credit than you should or not. <laughs> totally. I love, I used to quote this all the time. There's a quote from Leland Val van der Waal. Leland Val van der Waal, who was one of those 1920s personal development guys. Right. <laughs> and that I'm paraphrasing slightly, but the idea is that the amount of success that a person can experience is directly proportional to the amount of truth they can stand to hear about themselves without running away. That is so true. So true. So true. Right. And it does. It takes grit. It takes courage. It takes a couple of deep breaths to go like, okay, you know, like, right. This isn't as good as it should be. Or, okay, there's a rejection or, okay, here's some feedback that I wasn't really hoping to get, but there it is. And the, you know, the desire to make excuses, to dissemble, to run away, to say, oh, that person doesn't matter. The person, to blame oh, the person giving the feedback. <laughs> it's them. They're just projecting. It's like, well, maybe, but they're projecting onto you for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm going to guess it's probably not the first just time. because they're projecting doesn't mean they're 100% wrong. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Just because they're projecting doesn't mean they're wrong. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean everyone's not out to get you. <laughs> we also get trapped in this fallacy of the good idea you know like oh i have this idea i don't know if it's a good idea or not and i'm like of course you don't (laughs) how could you possibly know if it's a good idea or not you first of all you haven't checked with anyone because it's just sitting there in the hermetically sealed box that is your brain right like you gotta let it hit the air and there's a lot of room for bad ideas you know bad ideas can turn good good ideas can turn bad like and here's the thing with highly creative people, right? That's most of who I work with is highly creative people. Everyone is creative. Let me just say that. Everyone is creative. Not everyone is artistic. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between creative and artistic, right? Everyone has a zone of creative genius, some area that they're just naturally great at, naturally interested in, really good at problem solving and love to do. If I woke you up at three in the morning and said, hey, 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 we're going to go do this thing, you would be like, yeah, yeah, where are my shoes? Let's go. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's the thing you spend a lot of time on and your friends are all like, really? <laughs> you're spending a lot of time on that? Why are you doing that? And you're like, no, no, it's fun for me, right? right. <laughs> That's your zone of creative genius. And if you can turn that into your life, into your job, into your business, you have won the lottery, right? It's fantastic. Robin and I are both lucky enough to be able to do what we love to do all day long. So everyone has at least one of those most people have several highly creative people have a ton. They're good at a lot of things and they have a lot of ideas. They have a lot of ideas all the time. 
They have ideas in the middle of having ideas. They have ideas that wake them up in the morning. They have ideas about your ideas. They have ideas, <laughs> they have a ton, so many ideas and it gives creative people a little bit of a reputation of being sort of flighty or like can't focus or sparkly object. And it's like, no, no, it's not a character defect. You just have a lot of ideas, <laughs> which is fine. So have a way to capture them, have a way to retrieve them. Not every idea is a mandate. You don't have to do every idea that you have, but you should capture it because you never know. And not in a journal. <laughs> don't put that. You'll never find it again. <laughs> journals are about process. Journals are just about the act of journaling. It's not a good record keeper, right? So find another place to put your ideas. I like index cards. Some people leave themselves voice memos. I use the notes app on my phone quite a bit, you know, text edit on my computer. There's just little, it's like little, it's basically little computer post-its, Evernote, whatever works for you, whatever works for you. So have a way to retrieve the ideas once you have them. <laughs> um, and I will also say that Sometimes you might see other people get kind of weird about their ideas. Mm. It's because they've only ever had the one. <laughs> so, so they get they get a little protective, really protective of, it. of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and the, the, you know, the other thing I see highly creative people do is, is like they, so they people come to you with their idea, and you immediately have ten ideas about their idea, and like you can watch their little faces just like, oh. Right. Mm. right. Right. <laughs> like, be careful. Don't don't put your big giant feet all over their little garden. Yeah. Like also though, that reminds me too, is I think that there is this this incubation period where you know you really should sit with an idea like before you go for feedback. Um, this is really true in writing fiction. I'm I'm very I very rarely work with novelists, but when I do, the covenant is you can only talk about your story with me until it's finished. Yeah. Because, oh my God, like a little sprout that could, that is, that is destined to become a giant oak can just get squashed before it even unfurls its first leaf just by the wrong person, innocently usually saying the wrong thing and that's it. And the, and the whole thread is lost. Exactly. Exactly. There are people in your life and you know who they are, who have a gift for saying the exact thing that will stop you dead in your tracks. <laughs> Especially don't share your ideas with your family. <laughs> don't, don't go to the empty cookie jar. <laughs> Do not share your work with people who are not capable of supporting you. And you know, you and I also just, this is true for authors. It's also true for entrepreneurs. Your friends and family are not your ideal client. Your friends and family are not your ideal reader. They are not here on this earth to be your ideal client or ideal reader. They are on this earth to be your friends and family <laughs> and just to love you and support you for being the person you are in the same way that you are for them. You don't give a shit what's going on in their law office or in their, <laughs> you know, when that happens when they go to work every day, you don't care about that. You care about them as a person. Same, same. Let them care about you as a person. Don't talk about your work with them. Yeah. Just don't, don't do it. Your book idea. No. Family. Yeah. No. And if you happen to let it slip and somebody says, oh, how's it going? You say, oh, fantastic. How are you? Tell me about you. Tell me about your family. <laughs> turn it Just turn it around. <laughs> Just don't. And, and if necessary, you can even say like, oh, you know what? Because book writing, like there's a real shroud of mystery around it, right? So you can use that a little bit in your favor and go like, oh, you know what? It's going great. Thank you for asking. It's at a very delicate stage right now. So I'm not really talking about it with anybody. Right. 
right? And they'll go, oh, <laughs> <I'm> curious. <laughs> I can't wait to read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't wait for you to buy a copy. <laughs> So let's talk about, cause there's, you know, I, as I, I've observed as a book coach and I'd love to hear your take because um, I know I've noticed that there are a few key points where people tend to get particularly stuck. Mm-hmm. And one is just getting started. Yeah. Right. Like making that commitment of, okay, I've thought about this idea for a while. I, I've thought about it enough that I really can see it's aligned with what I want to accomplish in the world. And I really see that this is something I should do Mm -hmm. that I want to do, but then they, they have trouble getting started. So can you share a little bit about that phase and maybe some ideas for our Totally. Totally. So I had this problem with, with get it done with my first book because I had the thing of like, well, it has to be perfect inside of my mind before I start. Ah, (laughs) <laughs> right. And I wasn't sure, like, is it a workbook? Is it going to be like one person's story as they, you know, one of those sort of slightly fictionalized, right. you know, nonfiction yes. things? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't know how I wanted to do it. And so I thought, well, I'll just let the book tell me what it wants to be. So like I said, I like index cards. So I carried around a big pack of index cards. And anytime I had a thought for something that I thought should be in the book, I wrote it on the index card. And then I put it in a big manila envelope on my desk labeled genius. (laughs) (laughs) And I did that for about, I don't know, a month, six weeks, something like that. And then I dumped the envelope out onto my big dining room table and started to clump them up. I'm like, oh, okay, well, here's the stuff around procrastination. Here's the stuff around perfectionism. Here's the stuff around, oh, wow, I wrote this three times. Apparently, I really think this has to be in the book, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and so, I, yeah, so I sort of let the, let the project tell me what shape it wanted to take. And then I used the buddy system, right? Again, we're tribal animals. We do well with others. Um, I had another friend who was also working on a book and we would meet at a coffee shop and we would say, hello, hello. And then we would write. And we were very disciplined about not talking because it's super, we easily could have sat there for three hours just going, oh, no, this is writing time. Talking time is another time. (laughs) And if I didn't know what I wanted to write, I could use that, that envelope as like sort of a grab bag of like, oh, okay, I'll write about this today. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. It's just like, yeah, you don't have to know in advance, you know, you, and, and especially with tools like Scrivener, it'll help you, you can do different pieces of it and rearrange it and move it around until it really starts to take its own shape. And I would suggest that you can't know Mm. you start, Mm. uh, right? Because it's, it's the act of writing some of it that actually illuminates what's missing, what else you need to say, or maybe something you thought belonged in the book. And then once you see it written out, you're like, nah, that's not for this book. That's for another book. That's maybe that's for nothing. Right. That's for the journal. (laughs) journal. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But you really can't know until you're actually doing the right. That's the alchemy of art, right? Like, so you get the idea. And let me just say this to all of you. Don't refuse the download. You know, those ideas that just get downloaded to you where you're like, oh my God, I have the whole thing in my head. That's your engraved invitation from God. <laughs> like, that's it. <laughs> Nobody gets more than that. Right. That's for sure. <laughs> right. So, that's, oh gosh, I'm not really sure. No, you are. You, it got delivered especially to you. Nobody else got it. You just got it. 
So that's, yes, that's the one you should do. <laughs> I don't know how to say it more baldly than that. Do that. And talking about, it's it doesn't pretty, have to be hard. It doesn't have to be hard. And not everything happens that way. Not everything happens with yeah. Oh my God. It's, that's rare. That's right? Rare. Some things are a big fat slog, but occasionally it comes gift wrapped, you know? Yeah, totally. So don't yeah. refuse the delivery. Don't refuse the download. But the thing is, right, so one, it, when it goes from in your head to on the page, that's one transformation, right? It's different then. It's different in your head than it is on the page. And then someone else reads it, and they are changed, and the piece is changed, and you are changed, mm-hmm. right? And that continues to happen. That's the alchemy of art, and that's why you have to get it out of your head. Yeah. Because it has an impact on other people, and it can't mm-hmm. Well, it's still locked Okay, so the next phase, and we're just going to focus on book writing. We're not going to get into book proposals because there's extra mm. places where people freak out. So we'll just book proposals <laughs> are their own personal just yeah. little corner of hell. It's That's a really separate hard. show. <laughs> it's really. I'll just say it is really hard. It is hard to write a book proposal. It's hard to write a good book proposal. It's worth it, but it is hella hard. Or if you have good help, it's not terrible. Absolutely, hire somebody. Absolutely. <laughs> That's absolutely there's good stuff. I always say to I you know, I always say to people, like we, we have a coaching option and a ghostwriting option. I'm like, just let us ghostwrite it for you, please. Totally. <laughs> because it's not a skill you need to have. <laughs> it's like, and I will also say I my last book proposal, I was extremely pleased with myself. I did all this stuff that I thought was like super innovative and different and stuff. Turns out, no, they don't they don't want it like that. No, no, no. <laughs> it's still 1985 in publishing. Like they yeah. want it. In courier font, times font. Oh yeah. In word. Yep. Yep. No pictures. They don't care if it's designed. (laughs) Like no. I had this great web page with all this links and stuff, and they're like, "That's so cute." No. Yeah. (laughs) The agent was like, "Oh, we're not showing that to anybody." (laughs) But it's so you know, I was like, "But it's so great," and they're like, "No, we don't care." (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. All right. So in book writing, though, the next period that I notice that people get particularly uh, squirrely is when it's near done. That's the worst. The worst, because it might actually turn into something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you, all you can see is what's wrong with it. All you can see is all the ways in which it's not the thing that was originally in your head. Mm-hmm. Every monster will come out from under the bed. I've and- even seen people create, subconsciously create drama. Oh, for sure. In their lives where I had one woman who had stopped writing because the power, it was, it was a big snowstorm in her area and the power was out and the water was out and every teenager in the neighborhood had moved into her house because her house was the only one with running water <laughs> and no power still, <laughs> you know? And I said to her, I said, you know what you need to do? And she goes, what? I said, you need to sit down and, and get back on your writing schedule. Yeah. And she did. And like within 24 hours, it, it all went away. <laughs> the power came back on. The children all went home. <laughs> she got her house back. <laughs> you know, it's true. When you are about to make, when you make a big right? change in your life and <laughs> publishing a book is a big change in your life, everything happens. You know, the, the roof will collapse. The dog's legs fall off. Right. Health crisis, financial crisis, earthquake, tsunami. It will all happen. And it feels really personal (laughs) and it kind of is. I mean, and you have to know some of it has happened just because earthquakes and tsunamis happen. Crises happen. It it would have happened whether you were publishing a book or not. Sometimes it's self-created. Sometimes 
you actually make it happen because you want a distraction. But it always feels different because you are changing. You are a different person. You are handling the world a little differently. So it's going to feel to turn to, you know, the teenagers, to turn to the person in your life that you love that's having a crisis and say, I love you. And here's the way in which I can support you. And here's the way in which I have to keep going on this other project. Mm -hmm. This is what I believe they like to call boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's so important because I think it's such a great excuse. There's so many tempting excuses that come up, especially when we're getting to that, like I'd say two thirds to three fourths of the way done with the book Mm -hmm. is usually where I see the show up for people. Mm -hmm. And it can be tough sometimes. Sometimes it's like a, you know, a loved one becomes very ill or yeah. something like that. And, and, and you have to have that conversation with yourself, yeah. right. To keep going. Yeah. And yeah. Say, exactly. you know I care for this person, but I have to still keep this commitment and keep pressing forward. That's right. And, you know, there's all those statistics about all businesses that fail or books that don't get written. And it's, I don't think it's failure. I think people just stop. They just quit. So your commitment to yourself, your commitment to your idea, your commitment to your book, you have to keep your word, right? We build respect with other people by keeping our word to them. We build self-respect by keeping our words to ourselves. And it's probably the biggest thing that I see when people want to work with me. It's not that they don't trust me. They feel fine about me. It's that they don't trust themselves. Right. They've let themselves down so many times that they're very cautious about wanting to investing again in themselves. And I get that, but I also get that it's a journey. And sometimes an important step on the journey is paying for a course and not ever opening it. (laughs) (laughs) Buying a book and not reading it. I've done that, right? (laughs) Sometimes that's what somebody needs to do. You know, sometimes just listening to the first session and then that's it. That's all they needed, right? Like, oh, I didn't finish it. This isn't school. Nobody cares. So, yeah, but that three, two thirds, three quarters of the way through, and then you start to feel like, you, then you get the sparkly thing, like, well, I had this other idea. <laughs> that one's new and sexy. This one's old and tired. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that because that's a big deal. And this is, so it's one thing to say, okay, you know, I, I intended to take this course and I, I took a little bit of it and then I felt like I got what I needed and I moved on. But this is something different. This is where we're talking about, I've, I've got this great idea. I put all this energy into it, but rather than finish this idea, I'm going to leave it three fourths of the way done. And I'm going to go over here because now I've decided there's this other book I want to write, or there's this other project I want to do. And this is a very common thing for people to do. And then yeah. especially with when somebody's feeling like a stuck creative or they're feeling like, you know, I, I work and work and work and I never get ahead. Mm-hmm. This, this often would be at the root of, you know, in terms of the behaviors. Absolutely. So, yeah. What do you it's, say? yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. And, and, and this is how, you know, being an author is like the best personal development training ever, <laughs> because this is where you have to do the work on yourself. Yeah. And this is where I would recommend reading Gay Hendricks's book, The Big Leap. Mm. I've read that book probably four or five times. I just got the audio version last time. I was like, I think I need to hear this book in a different way. Listen to it by audio. I swear there's like, I heard something new. <laughs> right. Of and he talks about the ways in which we self-limit, right? The ways in which we are like, oh, this is about as successful as I feel comfortable being because there's a rule in my, there was a rule when I, in my house when I was growing up that said I wasn't allowed to be more successful than my sister 
or there's a rule in the house that says you can't make too much money. You know, or there's a rule in the house that says whatever, right? So this is where we start to unpack some of that subconscious behavior, make it conscious so we can look at it and go, oh, right. I get it that there was this bargain. My sister and I had a bargain that I wouldn't outshine her. And that was 40 years ago. <laughs> We've both moved on. Right. It's, it's okay. I can make it safe for myself to, you know, but you may need extra support. I mean, again, this is where, this is where you hire a coach. This is where you set a deadline. This is where you, you know, sign a contract. This is, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause you're going to need some external support. It's very, very, very challenging to do on your own. Yeah. And it really does. I think that people underestimate, like you were saying, the transformation that occurs when you become an author. And I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking it's about holding up the book and saying, look at me, I'm an author, you know, and here's my book. See, I'm an author. And that is just what I always like to say. That's just evidence that that's like a diploma, right? It's not, it's not the 20 years of education that led up to the diploma. That's just the diploma. Right. right? It says I have this degree. That's what, that's what the physical book is. The transformation occurs in everything that you've just been talking about the self-inquiry the the finding new you know the when you have to articulate your ideas in a book you can't be hand wavy about it you know right but it's not going to be a good book you know (laughs) you you've got to really think about what do I actually believe here yeah yeah what's the truth what is my truth what is (laughs) and, and 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 you can't just like say something and then just change it because it's going to be in print. Exactly. So you're <laughs> and you're going to have to do interviews about it for years. <laughs> right. And you have to say in the interview, yeah. what's in the book? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about two things. One is when my first book was getting published, I was, we were in that coaching program. I was getting coached by Steph Tuss, one of the best coaches in the world. We get on the phone and she's like, I'm t- I don't know what I was telling or something. And she goes, wait, stop. What happened? And I'm like, what? She's like, I don't know. Something happened. You don't sound right. Like, did something happen with a client? Did something happen with your family? What's going on? I'm like, no, nothing happened. I'm, I'm fine. Everything's fine. She's like, no, you're not. And I said, well, I did just get endorsed by Seth Godin. And he <laughs> called my book an instant classic and essential reading for anyone who wants to make a ruckus. And that's kind of, that's, that's blowing my mind a little bit. It's freaking me out. And she goes, oh, you got outed. <laughs> oh, like, oh my God. I did. I got outed. <laughs> but thank goodness I had to, like I said, you can't see what you can't see. You don't know what you don't know. Like, yeah. Oh, right. This thing that looked like a wonderful blessing and was. God bless you, yes. Seth. Oh thank goodness. you so much. Really? For, I have no idea what inspired him to write. <laughs> well, maybe it was a. I don't know. It could have been a good book, but thank you. Um, and uh, he did tell me that later on, but he, the secret is write an outstanding book. <laughs> but it would, it did, it, it freaked me out. The other thing I will say though, too, is, and this is, this is the really, well, you just have to lean into the magic of it because there's no, it's mysterious, right? This is another one of those creative dualities. On the one hand, you need to set a deadline, have a goal and pursue it with relentlessly. You have to be a dog with a bone. You cannot not not do it. You have to do it no matter what is happening. You have to commit and you have to do it. And that's the end of the story. And projects sometimes have their own timeline. 
that's different than yours. <laughs> Sometimes it needs to wait. You know, my friend Linda Sievertson, who's a terrific book coach, she always says, trust the delays. Mm. Trust the delays. You know, you can't always, we don't always know everything. Wheels are turning, you don't know about. It may be the right thing for you to put it aside for three months. You know, it might be the right thing for you to wait. You might be waiting for some technology to come out that you didn't know was going to happen. You might be waiting. I just, in this last year, ended up doing a bunch of videos that got sold to like LinkedIn Learning and Udemy and stuff. So good for you. Thank you. Yeah, super exciting. And, you know, tens of thousands of people are now seeing my stuff. And like, so this project that I was a little stalled out on and I'm like, I haven't called my agent because I'm too embarrassed because it's been, you know, because I haven't talked to her in too long. But how much better is it going to be for me to be able to come back to her and say, oh, by the way, I have this whole additional platform that I didn't have 12 months ago. It's so funny that you say that because when I see those kinds of delays show up in book proposals and then, and then like something amazing happens in the author's platform because, you know, they've been working on, I usually am also coaching them on developing some aspect of their platform uh, before we go to pitch. And then those wheels have a little bit more time to Mm. turn over. And then, you know, they, the package that we're presenting is radically better than the package that when they came. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that happen. Yeah. I think that's really, and I think, but it's so important to, you know, it's a tricky one, right? Because trusting the delays you know, you got, it's a line, right? You're yeah. watching a line. Yeah. It's so the like, thing, where does it, when does it turn from trusting the delays to outright procrastination? How does somebody know? Yeah. It's, it's almost impossible to tell. So I think the answer is to keep showing up to the question with some cheerful optimism, <laughs> right? Like, a couple of years ago, I was, had some health issues. And so I stopped working out because I couldn't. And then I was better, but I still wasn't working out. Now I love working out. So I was like, why, why is why is this not happening? Like it was mysterious to me why this wasn't happening. And I was being very hard on myself about it. Right. That self-punishing voice was having a field day. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Samantha, you do this professionally. <laughs> let's, let's see if we can't wrap our heads around this. So I started to change the thinking from, I can't believe I'm not doing this. Blah, 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 you're so lazy. You're so stupid to, I wonder what will happen to make me want to start working out again. <laughs> I wonder what amazing invitation is going to show up that's going to make me want to start working out again. I'm sure it's coming any minute now. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here in cheer- cheerful anticipation. I love this. That that invitation will show up. Same this. thing with the book. Like I can't wait to see what's going to happen that's going to make me want to open that document again. <laughs> I am sure something will happen. And you have, and then that's an everyday thing. You've got to check in every day. Check in with the question. I wonder really? what will happen. That's going to make me want to do this thing. And eventually, sure enough, yeah. something will happen. Right. Because it well, it, it brings the focus of your mind to anticipate something that's going to show up. And then you recognize it as it is versus if you're just beating yourself up, you won't even see the opportunity. Well, that's exactly right. The, the thing the brain is best at is finding what it's looking for. Yeah. <laughs> That's Unless it's my reading glasses. Unless it's your reading glasses, in which case you have to have 12 in every possible place in the house because you will never find them otherwise. Oh, you've been to my house. I've been to your house. <laughs> and now at the couch, I have reading glasses and the distance ones for the television. So it's right. <laughs> 
ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. All right. So great. So I want to get to the last stage where I see people hit the the freak out. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you know what I'm going to say, but it's really just before you go to press. Yeah. First, let me just completely validate how completely terrifying it is and so isolating because no one knows what you're going through. And people keep coming up to you going, aren't you so excited? And you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> right? I inadvertently found the solution to this and I will share it with you. My, it was right before my book launch. I was completely freaking out. And part of my freak out was the like, it was going to be in stores and I wasn't going to be able to like sit there and talk to everyone individually and make sure it was really the right thing for them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was part. That was part of my concern. Let's sit down. Let's do a let's do a complimentary coaching call and find out exactly. This is really right for you to spend sixteen dollars on this book. (laughs) So, uh, so my whole so I was having a launch event and my family came out, Um, and I live here uh, in Southern California where it's very beautiful. And one of the things we can do when you've got 75-year-olds and a five-year-old, right? So I had my parents and also my niece and nephew, is we went whale watching. So beautiful day on the boat. Great, great. Nice and calming just to be there. Um, something the whole family can enjoy. Great. And then I saw the whales. And I was like, oh, that's right. Most of this planet is water. Most of this planet isn't even for us. It's for them. And there's a whole world out there that doesn't care about me at all. I am a speck on a speck on a speck. I am here on this planet for a minute. Like, let it go. It's not that big a deal, you know? And so I found that very restful. Like this, this like sort of put me back in the right orientation to the universe, right? The other half of that that happened actually when my second book came out was the realiz- this feeling, this realization that it's not my book. It's not my book. I created it. It came through me, but it's not mine. And I, I'm not a parent, but I assume this is how people feel about their children. Like if your child goes out and does something wonderful, well, yes, you had a hand in it, you know, <laughs> but it's not your success. It's theirs right? And the person they are and the things they do and the way other people experience them, that's theirs, right? Same thing with the book, like the way people experience it, what happens to it, I'm not really in charge of all of that. And so I found that also very calming. I'm like, it's not my book. It's not, and, and even, and it also calmed me down for interviews, right? I'm like, this is, it's not my interview. It's, the interview is going to be what the interview is going to be. It's my job to show up as, as fully present as I can be, you know, rested and hydrated and worked out, um, <laughs> prayed, meditated, walked, cuddled, all the things. Um, <laughs> but it's not mine to control. Right. Right. So that's another one of those creative dualities, right? Between controlling everything you can control and really releasing everything you can't. Right. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And I think, I think, um, I love that perspective of, you know, the book really belongs to the world, right? Yeah. And whoever in the world is going to receive whatever they're going to get from right. it. 
Yeah, that's a beautiful perspective. Yeah, and it, it just lightens everything up. They're going to love it or not love it. It's, you know, I, I was very pleased when I finally got my first one-star review on Amazon. That that made me feel like a real writer. <laughs> up to then, I wasn't really sure. But once I got a bad review, I was like, okay. That's really cool. successful till you have at least one hater. Exactly. What I'm, really know you can hate is, it. what I'm really waiting for is to see one of my books in a yard sale or in the used bookstore or something. Yeah, like I want somebody to get rid of the book. That Then I will know. Yeah. <laughs> It's somebody who couldn't bear to throw it away, even though they had, that's, that's how I would frame that one. That's right. that's right. It's like, yeah. No, but I love just this idea of books sort of banging around the whole world like that. Right. I just, <laughs> it's so amazing. But yeah, no, you're not in charge. And, and one time I got home, there was a box on my doorstep and I opened it up. I was like, I don't know what this is. And it was my book. It was get it done in hardcover. And I was like, and this is the sound I made. I went, what, 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 what? <laughs> and Luke goes, honey, is everything okay? And I'm like, I did, I did, I did. And he's like, I've never seen this look on your face. I'm like, I've never had this look on my face. It wasn't published in hardcover. I don't know what this is. And what had happened was Barnes and Noble had actually bought the hardcover rights to my book because, you know, they have those, Oh yeah. they do that. They have their own publishing arm. Right. And so they bought the hardcover rights and had it then on their January, you know, inspiration, motivation table. So there I am next to Zig Ziglar and <laughs> all these guys. But, you know, but your publisher doesn't tell you these things. No, but I mean, I'm laughing because I remember around that time seeing your book in Barnes and Noble. And I think I even took a picture of it and probably yeah. sent it to you. I was, because I was just like, Right? Right? I've been there, you know, I've been doing all the software and all of a sudden there was, there wasn't a hardcover. I was like, that is crazy. Crazy. So you don't know, you don't know what, you have no idea where this is going, mm-hmm. you know, and that's part of the joy of it. So it's just like a love affair. Stay, stay optimistic. <laughs> you know, those questions, you know, with those, those positive expectation questions that could apply to anything. <laughs> Right. I can't wait to see what's going to happen. Right. You know, so I'm know. sure something will, I'm sure something is coming. Mm. I'm sure something is coming. And you're right. This it's, it's the ability to see the opportunity, right? Because so often, you know, when your self-esteem is low, when you're depressed and I live with depression and anxiety, I'm not, I don't use that word lightly. It can be very hard to see the opportunity or somebody says here, you know, let me help you. Or, Oh, I want to introduce you to my friend. And you think, Oh, they're just being nice. They don't mean it, you know? And so you don't follow up and then you don't get the opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or so, even somebody says, Oh, I'd love to reach, you know, I'd love to work with you. I'd love to. And you think, yeah, yeah. And they give you their Picard and you never call them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and this is, this is a gesture I call no, no, get that money away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Keep no. that. Don't give that to me. No, no. Get that money away from me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you have to, you have to be alert for the opportunity. Somebody asked me recently this, uh, uh, and a friend, I mean, somebody who kind of knows me, I was a little surprised. She was like, so how come everything works out so great for you, Sam? <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> She's like, no, it just seems like everything kind of falls in your lap. Like, you know, how is that? And I was like, I, I don't even know how to respond to that question because first of all, from from where I sit, almost nothing has fallen into my lap. Only I work- crackers. I've only seen crackers. <laughs> crackers. Oh, and breadcrumbs. 
Breadcrumbs, well, crackers, exactly. <laughs> um, soy sauce when you're having sushi. <laughs> always, but otherwise, no. And I was like, and she said, she's like, no, I know you work hard. And I'm like, oh yeah, I work ass hard. And, and I said, here's the thing. What really happens is I say yes to a lot of things. Yeah. I say yes to a lot of things. And some of those things work out. And so that's what you see from the outside is the couple. You see are the things that worked out, right? Is the thing that worked out. <laughs> but I can tell you, if you look at my date book, there is a lot of things that <laughs> didn't happen, didn't go, got stalled out, are still look, you know, I mean, I wrote a musical that was in development for 10 years. It was like, Oh, we got a producer. Oh, no, we don't. Oh, we got the money. Oh, no, we don't. Oh, we're opening in November. Oh, no, we're not. Oh, we're just like, ah. And then it finally got produced and was very successful. And now we're, and then the pandemic happened. <laughs> right? That's right. like, I guess we're not taking the show on the road. <laughs> you were right, because you were looking at doing a national tour right before mm-hmm. the pandemic. Yep. Oh, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot we can't control. <laughs> But the stuff you can control, right? So you can't do anything about what's going on out there. You just can't. You can't control public opinion. You can't control politics. You can't control the weather. Stop bitching about it because it has nothing to do with you, right? But what you can control is your own creative output and what goes on inside of your own mind. So exert control over that, over which you have control, you know? And that is the key to getting it it done. That's it. And to a happy life. And to a happy life. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. It's hard to keep your nose out of everybody else's business. You know, you want to correcting <laughs> them out there. <laughs> Trying to fix everyone around you, right? Trying to fix everyone around you. <laughs> what I find is when I keep my eyes on my own paper, you know. Yeah. <laughs> your score is higher. <laughs> my score is higher. <laughs> All right. So listen, before we wrap up, tell me more about this LinkedIn course. And oh my God, can, I, my, my puppy is. My puppy She's really, I'm going to put myself on mute while you talk about your LinkedIn course. Okay. Yeah. So I don't want to tell the story. I got ping. Well, first I was, I've been on LinkedIn forever, but I don't do anything there because, you know, I work with highly creative people. Most of them don't have jobs. So I was like, what would I be doing on LinkedIn? And then I started to get annoyed at LinkedIn because I was getting all these invites. You probably get them too all the time with people like, Hey, I work with coaches and authors, helping them blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, who is teaching this strategy? This is the dumbest strategy in the world. I don't know who you are. No, you cannot get on my calendar. Clearly, you don't know who I am. This is just like half a step away from spam. This is so annoying. And then I get one that's like three sentences long. Hey, Sam, I've seen some of your online videos. Would you be interested in creating content for lynda.com, LinkedIn Learning? If so, you know, love to talk, no sales pitch, just, you know, just talk. Now, part of it was because he name-checked lynda.com, which is a carpenteria company. They were, they're they based here. And Linda, they were pioneers in the online training space. Then they got bought by LinkedIn. And then LinkedIn got bought by Microsoft. So now they are a bazillion-dollar company that's just around the corner. So I was like, okay, all right. You name-checked Linda. That's cool. And then I figure out that this guy's in Santa Barbara. I'm like, oh, he's local. Okay. I go to his website. He's a one-page website about himself. Just one page, couple sentences. I'm like okay, that's cool. And then we got on the phone and he said, yeah, we do. We make these courses and you know, we, we love your style. We'd love to do one with you. So we've done, the first one we did was called time management for busy people. Perfect. 
And then LinkedIn got really excited about it and they made it one of its new and noteworthy courses that week. So then I was in the top three courses oh on LinkedIn. God, that's, so hey. that's so exciting. And then I did one called How to Write Emails People Actually Want to Read. Ah, and you're so good at that. Thank you. It's doing very well. I'm very pleased. I'm hoping I can revolutionize the world of email. Yes. Excitedly. And then I, there's another one out um, called Overcoming Rejection. Mm. Overcoming Rejection and Disappointment. Because, you know, I spent most of my adult life as an actor. And right. it turns, turns out you learn a lot about overcoming rejection. <laughs> I had a lot of unconscious confidence around <laughs> overcoming rejection. And I'm so pleased because... You know, I'm so now I'm getting pinged on LinkedIn every day from people like, oh, I took your course. Oh, it's so wonderful. Thank you so much. I learned so much. And especially for the overcoming disappointment one, because, you know, here in Southern California, you can't swing a cat without hitting a life coach. You know, <laughs> so the self-help thing is just the, the oppressive optimism is everywhere. The self-help is everywhere, but not so much in other parts of the country and not so much in other countries. Mm. Right. Mm. So to be able to sort of get some self-help stuff in their sort of stealth. <laughs> um, and so lovely, you know, just getting these wonderful emails from people going, you know, I didn't know how, how hard I was being on myself. I've been looking for a job for a year. I'm a data scientist. I thought I had the perfect thing lined up and then it didn't happen. And you really helped me. And I'm like, Oh, that just makes my heart so happy. And I'm getting all these inquiries now from corporate, like, Hey, can you come do a time management thing for, I just did a thing for a company in Portugal, for God's sake. Like, oh, I love it. Sure. <laughs> Online. Those, those keep coming when you can actually get on a plane to Portugal. I know, right? Let's go to Portugal, Robin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Last time you said that, I was <laughs> I know. <laughs> Just about to. Let's go to Belize, Sam said. And I'm like. <laughs> yep. What do I do next? (laughs) Is on the books. We're sending out the first email about it tomorrow. So, all right, girl. Yep, yep. This is the other thing. When you when you write books, you get to you get to go to Belize. That's the. (laughs) With this is this is actually this is another it's another thing we haven't talked about is is you know in addition to just having a serious talk with yourself when you've stalled out on something, give yourself a big carrot. You know, promise yourself like okay if you finish this thing by this date, you can, you know, buy yourself something pretty, you know, you can, or you can go the other way. My friend Amy Ayler taught me this great strategy where you say, okay, uh, write out a check for a thousand dollars to a cause or a person with whom you violently disagree, give it to Robin and then say, okay, if I don't show you a finished draft by this date, mail that check, right? That's not playing around. (laughs) Oh, Amy. No, right? It's devious. Because it's not even the money. It's that then you'd be on their mailing list. <laughs> and, and on record. On record. As supporting this organization oh. that you hate. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Do whatever it takes, man. Carrots and sticks. Yeah, carrots, and sticks. carrots and sticks. <laughs> I prefer the carrot myself. Me too. I am also better motivated by a pair of Gucci loafers than I am. <laughs> Yes, I'm a horn. Or a new puppy. Get yourself a puppy. There you or a go. puppy that insists on barking in the middle of an interview. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Okay. Not a problem. So, <laughs> we, were, we were talking about carrots, carrots and sticks. And sticks. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Carrot people. We're carrot people for sure. For sure. But you do have to reward yourself. I mean, because it is it is really hard, and no one else knows or cares or has any understanding of what it is you're doing or why. And you can't expect yourself to work 
forever with no reward, right? So, you know, even if, you know, I'm not great at treating myself either, but even if you just make it conscious, like, okay, you know what? I'm buying this 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 bottle of sparkling water and this is my commemorative, I finished chapter five, sparkle water. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yay me. I, I am doing this thing that I would do anyway, having the sparkle water, but I'm reminding myself of like, this is a prize for having done good job. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that, that is so important too, because then you get to, you know, create those moments for yourself. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. Right. It's really about acknowledging that you completed uh, even a step. Exactly. A step. You know, what's the very next thing? Exactly. Right? Yeah, it's, that's all you can do. It's just my me. mantra is, you know, do the next, the very next thing. Do, do the, the next, next thing. Do and, the next and, You know, it might just be a little, it might just be sending a quick email or Googling something online that you were curious about or, you know, but, but if you keep doing the next thing, that's how you build momentum. And that's how you actually see the, those, those, that forward progress. Absolutely. And really 15 minutes a day. It's shocking how much you can get done in 15 minutes. You will be amazed at how much you can get done in 15 minutes. And it hopscotches right over your perfectionism because how much perfect is it going to be in 15 minutes? <laughs> right. And you're going to do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And when you're working on something every day, it starts to have a little momentum to it. You get to feel a little smug about it. You get that same feeling like when you work out, you're like, yep, I'm awesome because I did my thing. Thanks very much. <laughs> you know, you've got that little light in your eyes. We love that version of you. And, you know, you can write 200, 250 words in 15 minutes mm-hmm. if you're quick. And if you do that for 100 days, maybe 150 days, you will have a book. Mm-hmm. And if you do it for 10 days, you'll have a booklet. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And you know, another thing too that I've noticed, right, is even if you tell yourself, I'm just going to write for five minutes. Right. Before you know it, you know, once you're in it. Yeah. You know, not every time, but a lot of times, once you're in it, next thing you'll look up and it'll be two hours later. Absolutely. Time go. That absolutely happens. And some days it doesn't, right? And some days it doesn't, right? So it's, and that's okay. 15 minutes of enforced boredom never hurt a person. That's like, right. Stare at a blank page. It's okay. You're going to do it again tomorrow. So. Exactly. You know. exactly. Yeah. And I'll just throw in one thing as, as I'm, because that just re- reminded me of something else that, that I've found to be true. And when you were talking about like wanting it to come out perfect, mm. you know, right in the first shot. And one thing that I've found to be consistent and I've edited hundreds of thousands of, I've edited millions of words and hundreds of thousands of pages. And what I can say is that almost never is the first paragraph, the first paragraph. Mm -hmm. And of every chapter of every subheading or whatever it is, or every book, it is three to five paragraphs down I just got full body chills. That is so true. And I have never thought to say that, but that's exactly true. Right. And so what you do is you write at least, at least five paragraphs before you even think about what the opening line is, because it will be there somewhere in those first five paragraphs. And I also guarantee that most of what you wrote will go somewhere on that page, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but not in the order that you wrote it. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Exactly. <laughs> the other thing that's sort of on my heart to say is like, let your writing process be your writing process. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of conventional wisdom out there that just may not apply to you. Right. You know, for years, I kind of didn't think I was myself as a writer because everybody's just like, oh, writers, writing is editing and writing is rewriting. And, you know, you can't write and edit at the same time. Well, I kind of can write and edit at the same time. <laughs> I tend to be sort of a first draft writer and I don't like doing things twice. I don't want to have to go back over it. So, so I, te- and, and I will even some like I'll be writing and then I'll put, you know, insert a great story here. You right. know? <laughs> Come back to it, right. Come yeah. back to it just to, keep, just to keep going. But then I found out like, oh yeah, some people, I mean, my, Linda, for example, will edit forever. Like she will go over and over and over and over and over and over her manuscripts. And I'm like, that makes me feel so tired inside. <laughs> I, don't, I don't work that way. And you know, some people don't even, some people it's really hard for them to write the book. It's, they're better off speaking the book yeah. and getting a transcript and then editing their transcript. Yeah. And, and so I think it is really important to honor your own process and try different things. Like if, if sitting down and looking at a blank screen and and blinking cursor isn't working for you, try handwriting it, try speaking it, try doing it in smaller chunks. I mean, everybody's equation is their own. Right. Or you have to get a friend to ask you questions. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, answer the questions. I'm a big analog girl. I do everything by hand. Me and my Levenger legal pads. Oh my. And my that's special pens thing. from Japan. I got it. That's my, that's my jam. I can barely write my address on an envelope. I am such the typing. Like I just, I've, I've been, you know, journalism. I mean, uh-huh. <laughs> right. typing, you know, I've been typing my thoughts since I was 12 years old. <laughs> I just cannot, even when there were typewriters, I've been typing my thoughts be- since before the IBM Selectric. I mean, I remember when that I, IBM Selectric came out, that was exciting. That was like a godsend, right? That was like, godsend. Oh! and now yeah. it's like, oh no, get that away from me. <laughs> See, I'm a, I'm a mover. Like, I'll move texture. So I have to be able to cut, copy, paste, move it. And and that's why handwriting just, it, it's a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Because I have to be able to shuffle it around. Right. So. Exactly. So yeah, keep experimenting and sometimes different projects call for different methodologies, you know, keep, keeps just, the, I, I think the recurring yeah, theme here is just like, different. keep at it. Just keep showing up to it. Keep showing up to the project. Keep showing up to the question. Don't, you know, We've got all these negative voices inside of our head and all the messaging from the outside world that says, don't, basically, you know, don't get too big for your britches. Don't think you're all that. Don't work on your own thing. Work on everybody else's thing. And you have one little teeny tiny voice inside (laughs) that's trying to stand up to all those negative no's. And you got to give that little voice a megaphone. You got to give it 15 minutes a day. You got to give it some space. And see where it takes you. You never know. Seth Godin might endorse through your, your book. Who knows? Weirder things have happened. <laughs> well, on, on that note, because I can't imagine a better thought mm-hmm. <laughs> to end on. So I will just say, Sam, thank you so much for being on the Author's Corner and sharing all these great insights with us today. My pleasure. Anytime. And then we'll do the follow-up interview in Belize. Perfect.
you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.